Welcome into the Morning Grind podcast. We're going to talk to Justin Van Zuten as uh, STL Cardinals. You know him better as that, of course. Uh, we'll get into his life as an accountant, how he works at as far as the DFS perspective as well. Uh, he's going to have to defend the STL, uh, you know, the Cardinals. They're known as the best fans in the world. Does he agree? And the burning question, what everybody wants to know, what is STL Cardinals, his favorite leprechaun movie? I know you want to know. There's eight movies to pick from. Let's see what he says. Uh, also want to mention we partnered with DraftKings. There is the qualifying fantasy golf millionaire contest that starts Thursday, June 11th. Users can, can they can compete for the $1 million top prize. The winner will also be awarded with a ticket for free entry into the fantasy tournament of champions final, the fantasy tournament of champions final that will be held during the big game in Tampa, where users will compete for another $1 million top prize. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. With that, let's talk the cards. Welcome back to the morning grind. Dean wants to back uh, once again, back with you filling in for Stevie. Of course, Stevie is knocking out his NASCAR content. If you guys want NASCAR content, you know where to find it here on rotogrinders.com. Um, today, yesterday we did a, you know what? I forgot which day is which yesterday was blender. The day, the day before that, we actually did some MMA content. We have, we're talking about the upcoming uh, MMA million dollar contest on DK Today, you know, with the lack of sports, we are shifting back once again to our DFS personality showcase. Of course, uh, you can find all these uh, that we've done so far. Head Chopper, Andy Means, Kevin Roth, Fast Eddie Fear, Blender Yesterday, Grant Neifer. I'm sure I'm missing some, but it's a whole catalog. You guys can check those out on the podcast feed or just uh, fire them up the old YouTube as well if you want to see our beautiful radio faces. Uh, That said, speaking of NASCAR, let's bring in uh, new uh, NASCAR experts. You know him from every other sport, so why not dominate NASCAR as well? Uh, Justin Van Zutten, you know him better as SDL Cardinals 84. Cards, you've been crushing those NASCAR streets, I hear. Yeah, a couple uh, good weeks. Uh, might as well, you know, give it a whirl with uh, with not much else going on. So I will say that I find the NASCAR sweat to be absolutely brutal because it seems like nothing matters until the end of the race, and there's always a wreck right at the end of the race, which swings everything. So... Um, I prefer the sweats that sort of build up over the course of the event, like, uh, you know, baseball does and uh, golf and so forth. And the whole, you know, the first, uh, basically the first 80% of the race, you can't win anything, but you can lose it. And uh, I don't know, a a little bit too much fluctuation at the end in NASCAR for me, but that's just the nature of the sport. So I can't argue with the the results the last couple of times. So I'll say, Hey, the process is, uh, process must be you know perfect yeah uh i see you finished first in the 12 dollar on may 31st 2020 uh let's see and that was probably with a bunch of other people I imagine, yeah that right? was with about 55 of my closest friends so <laughs> you know there was a couple of tournaments i think one was 100k to first and one was 200k to first and i walked away with two gpp wins for like eight thousand dollars Nice. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, maybe I'm a little too chalky and you, you want to try to go a little contrarian to, to win when the, uh, the chalk builds don't hit. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm too much of a NASCAR fish, uh, to, to be able to, 
to understand all the nuances of the lineup building. Uh, but uh, hey, the two wins, even though they were split with a lot of folks, uh, is better than than walking away with less than what you started with. So uh, on that note, I'll, I'll take it. You're a rich NASCAR uh, fish. That's all that matters, I suppose. All and, uh... I know is that that's going in my uh, Rotor Grinders profile as a as a <laughs> first place finish out of however many thousands. So uh, you know, I can I can screenshot that uh, whenever I need to and say, hey, look, I won this uh, thing that says you know 200k to first next to it. But uh, that's small details. I know very little about NASCAR, and like I dabble in it, like you. Not that well, what they do is they drive in a circle and they turn left. <laughs> what they do that's it like that that's i mean i know that much there's Uh, a little bit more strategy involved that's the general process but yeah i I, when i'm watching you know i'm one of those people that likes just kind of sort of i don't like obsess over but like to keep an eye on like what my currently winning is i'll I'll check it every so often but like you said it's basically pointless in nascar (laughs) what's the point it's like well wait a second i'm up up like two grand now i'm down the 500 or what what just happened in the last second and i'm not watching the race i can't watch nascar i'm sorry I, i mean you gotta, you gotta draw the line somewhere. Do you actually watch it? Is it is this something you've enjoyed, like as a spectator? Um, no, I mean I can watch like the last fifty laps of a race or something, or like the last half hour, forty five minutes. Particularly now, I mean, there's not a whole lot else competing for airtime in terms of sports. Um, but yeah, the whole race for three, four hours, I, I generally can't uh, do that. So you know. It's an acquired, just like every, I mean, there's a lot of people that can't sit down and watch a baseball game for three hours. Of course, nobody is right now, but yeah, um, you know, I can sit and watch baseball all day, but there's a lot of people that, you know, Hey, I only watch the end of the game or I only watch the playoffs or, you know, something like that. So everybody's got their own different tastes, but yeah, sitting and watching the whole NASCAR race for three, four hours is a little much uh, for me anyway. I always love the people that say how boring baseball is and they talk about how amazing football is. And it's like, all right, let's hand the ball off to this guy. He's going to go like one or two yards, and we're going to wait like 35 seconds or so. And guess what? We're going to do that same exact thing again. But baseball was boring. And the actual like action in football, when you actually you know knock it down out of three hours, is what, 10 minutes of actual in-game play? I'm not here to take shots of football, but it's just sort of a weird take that like, <laughs> depending on what, what the brand, you know, certain right. teams are more exciting. And, you know, certain, you're a big college ball fan as well, too. Like, give me like five wide all day long. Give me some June Jones in my life. Has somebody hired him since the XFL? Because I want him coaching somewhere. <laughs> it's good for DFS, that's for sure. Um, you know what? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think. Probably at college. He was at Hawaii forever, right? Yeah, he was. And then uh, SMU before the XFL. Uh, I'm just trying to Google quick. I, I don't think he has been hired anywhere yet. But, uh, yeah, he's a very DFS-friendly head coach no matter where he, he lands and a uh, tough break there for the XFL in their first year. I, I laughed at this because I, I don't, wh- where, what was your stance? I, I can't believe we're taking this to XFL route. But we are. <laughs> um, what was your stance when the XFL first started? Like, did you watch the first week? Uh, did you never really get into it? Did you play DFS with it? Yeah. You're talking about uh, yeah, the, 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 the second, new XFL. Yeah, yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, not the, he hate me XFL. Gotcha. No. Uh, I watched uh, some of the first week. Some of the, I watched uh, here and there. I didn't sit there and watch the entire game. I did play some DFS. Uh, I appreciated some of the presentation. I thought some of it was ambitious. Uh, the idea of like the sideline interviews, I think it's interesting. Uh, give, you know, I would love to see the NFL adopt that and just throw a microphone in Bill Belichick's face to see what he would say. And like after like a, you know, a fourth down gone wrong or something like that, it'd be, it'd be wild. Uh, and of course the original XFL, I know it's like a joke, but they came up with the sky cam. Like they, they did innovate the NFL to some degree. And 
as far as the kickoff. The NFL is probably going to steal that at some point, maybe not the first year, so it doesn't look like completely obvious. Um, quarterback play is super important, and their quarterbacks were not, outside of a couple dudes, their quarterbacks were not very good, and that is integral for a good product, I think. Uh, it was fine. It was okay. And, and I know, I think I will know where you're going with it. I was going to, I jumped down your Twitter feed and uh, I believe you're basically saying like, you know, everybody loved it the first week saying it was an amazing product. And you're kind of taking the second week say, Hey, you guys still love this. You guys still yeah, watching that, this? The, the first week though, everybody's talking, Oh my goodness. This is such a great compliment to the NFL. And this is going to be <laughs> awesome to have at this time of year where there's a void in the sports world. And then, like, two weeks later, nope, nobody's talking about it. Like, the, the, the games are going on, and everyone's talking about, you know, what the uh, hot stove baseball reports are or, or NFL, NFL draft that's four months away. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that the novelty kind of wears off. And when you realize, you know, the quality of play just isn't what you're used to. You mentioned the quarterbacks. And there was a lot of games that were, like, 10 to 6. or I mean, it was just brutal. Uh, I think the overs were like 25% hit in those first three or four weeks. And then, um, you know, I think it could have been a sustainable product and, and, and maybe it, you know, the fan base levels off after a few years. Uh, but then, you know, the COVID outbreak hit and it was just a really tough break for the XFL trying to get it going for a, for a second time. And, uh, and then they pretty much, you know, instantly folded that, that surprised me a little bit. It seemed like uh, McMahon was going to be in it for the long haul or at least a longer haul the second time. Uh, yeah. to, to pull the plug, you know, even more quickly than you did the first time. Uh, that was a little bit of a surprise to me, but uh, I guess if you, if you're going to take your L, you might as well take it before you eat too much money. So, uh, so then, you know, it came and went about as fast as, uh, as fast as anyone expected. Yeah. I mean, again, I like some of the innovations. It was a, a faster clock as well too. Uh, and the game was faster too, for what it's worth as far as the totals. And, you know, I love the fact that it was at ESPN or ABC and it's the same company, but, uh, whoever was broadcasting some, of the, broadcasting some of the games, they would put the total right there on the screen and embracing gambling. And I think that's, uh, you know, for so long. I mean, I always sort of liked when Al Michaels would kind of wink at the audience and like say, oh, this extra point means something. I know it's the score is 37 to 12, but this extra point matters to those people in the desert. I combined him and Brett Musburger for some reason, but you know what I'm talking about. And like, you know, there's a reason why we have these awful Jaguar games on Thursday night or Maction. Like it's gambling. Let's just be honest about it, right, Cards? It is, and <laughs> you know, with more and more states taking that path um, outside of Illinois, managing to screw it up around every turn, and that <laughs> as guess, of yesterday, yeah, this grind. Uh, Illinois can't get out of their own way with anything, and, and you've got a state that's as broke as any state in the country. I mean, Illinois and California are, are both right up there. We've got ridiculous state pension plans uh, for government employees that they're having trouble funding. And you've got a state that basically needs any revenue source that they can get. So you've got this immense, vast revenue source that you're seeing in New Jersey, you're seeing in Pennsylvania, you're seeing sports gambling, uh, bring in droves of money for these states that, that got in on the ground floor. And Illinois finally passed a law uh, around the first of the year uh, legalizing sports betting. But because this was so political, this went on for a couple of years, uh, Rivers Casino, one of the deep pocketed casinos up there in, in Chicago, uh, was basically, you know, banging their fist against uh, sports betting being legalized because obviously they think it'll take money away from their brick and mortar casinos, slot machines, card games, what have you. And 
they are a very heavy political donor to a lot of the the representatives for the state of Illinois. So the state had a hard time getting a gambling bill passed uh, because so many of the legislators were basically in the pockets of Rivers Casino. And so Rivers Casino finally, you know, essentially came to an agreement with a lot of these legislators. Hey, you can vote for a sports betting bill, but there has to be a provision in the bill that there's no in person or there's no online only sports betting for 18 months. So what that would do is that would give the brick and mortar casinos like Rivers Casino an 18 month head start on FanDuel, DraftKings and, you know, whatever online operators might pop up. And so the bill got passed and it finally went live to where they would start accepting the brick and mortar applications on March 1st. Well, March 1st comes and 10 days later, the entire sports world shuts down. And now you've got no sports betting revenue because you're not allowing any online betting. It's only in-person only and nobody can go anywhere in person to bet. Uh, So from March through June, Illinois has no sports betting revenue coming in because they wouldn't allow any online licenses. They would allow online licenses. You look at what these states have done with NASCAR, with MMA. I mean, they're breaking records for sports betting handle. Yeah. Stocks are stocks are going through the roof uh, in the gambling sector, and Illinois has got no money coming in. So they've botched, they've botched this from the start, all because of this, you know, the deep pockets and, and Rivers Casino. And now just yesterday or Thursday <laughs> or sometime this week, Governor Pritzker came out and said uh, that right now you still can't do any in-person betting, which is the only form of betting that's allowed right now because you can't do it online with that 18-month rule. Yeah, And so basically it's still disallowed in Illinois, despite the fact that we're almost a half a year since the bill has passed. Uh, again, it's just been botched up so many ways. Um, I have heard rumors of FanDuel and DraftKings perhaps partnering with a brick-and-mortar casino in some capacity. Uh, to be able to to get that because you can offer online betting whenever it gets back up and going again if you have a brick and mortar presence so if they partner with a brick and mortar casino that has a license FanDuel and DraftKings could probably offer uh, an online platform you know before that 18 month period is up who knows there's so much political that that's gone on in that but uh, the, the fact of the matter is Illinois has already shot themselves in the foot with all this revenue that they could have brought in when the state is already broke and raising taxes. And uh, it's, it's disappointing. I mean, and not just because I'm a gambler, but you know, you want to, you want to see your state get out of the hole and be able to fund these retirement plans that, that the employees are getting and, uh, and not raise your taxes and your property taxes and all those things. And they can't get out of their own way. Yeah. I'm in Tennessee and Tennessee is a similar thing as well, you know, to some degree, what is it at least a year ago, I want to say where they actually passed sports gambling, but it's still all caught up in bureaucracy. You can't make any game. Uh, you can't wager anything just yet. And they're saying, you know, soon, eventually at some point. And the other part of it is so there's no anything in Tennessee right now, either. No in-person, no, no online, no nothing. No, but it was passed. I want to say at least a year ago, like it was right. passed. It like feels like it was at nine months or 12 months ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and maybe it's nine months, maybe it's 15 months, you know, how time is like, yeah. who knows what, I don't know what day today is. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> yeah. Especially it, now, you know, the last three months have just been a blob of days and, I read an article on that, by the way. Um, your perception of time is extremely distorted right now because of the lack of of monumental things like milestones. And maybe this last week will be a little bit different just because of all the turmoil in the country and things like that. So we've got some memory of, hey, the start of June. Uh, but 
you know, March through May, it's like there's no uh, national champion in March Madness. There's no start of baseball season. There's no, if your life is so interconnected to sports, there's been no milestones in the last three months to where you can, you know, you can put a time frame on a big memory of sorts. You know, there hasn't been a lot of weddings or any, you know, big personal gatherings, parties and vacations and like that that's why these kind of these last three months just feel like a blur to everybody it was a really interesting kind of thought piece uh, article that, how long uh, ago was tiger king i don't know it could have been a week ago yeah it could have been four <laughs> weeks ago you know who knows could have been three months <laughs> the murder horn i think the murder horns are gone i'm not sure they, they saw it just scrammed I they came and went yeah <laughs> uh, so you uh, you mentioned illinois are you born and raised in illinois yeah, um, moved, migrated about, you know, 25 miles or so from the town where I grew up, but uh, northwestern Illinois, small town, about 10,000 people, and the town we live in now is about 15,000, 16,000, so it's, you know, we're rural and uh, outside the, the big city for sure, and uh, I, I don't know, I've just never been a big city person, I, I don't mind traveling to a big city and going on a vacation there, but, you know, the day-to-day you see people that... Uh, that, that work in Chicago and, you know, the traffic that you have to deal with on a daily basis and the commute and all that, it's just um, not for me. So, you know, if we're going to be in, in Illinois, uh, I, I'd rather be out in the country a little bit where, you know, you, you get a little bit more of a laid back approach and, and not quite as much uh, traffic and, and bustle and, and crowds. I was saying this the other day to you in a, in a Slack, you're the most, you're the most famous person in your city. <laughs> I think I, <laughs> um, I have you had know a celebrity that's come from uh, your city. <laughs> no, I don't. Um, <laughs> although I did go to the same high school as Jake Junis. Okay. Oh, there you go. Um, so, you know, uh, he probably trumps me there though, though he no longer lives here. Uh, but, uh, he was a dominant pitcher in high school, obviously, uh, rural Illinois and he made it to the major leagues. So, uh, nice to to see him, you know, succeed and and have kind of a nice uh, career as a kind of middle of the pack starter there in in the big leagues. But um, you know, a few times I've had a person stop me at Walmart, um, <laughs> like did like a double take, and then finally, I guess, had the guts to to. I had an RG shirt on, I think. Okay. Um. So you know, he did a double take and then had the courage to 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 say Justin. Uh, yeah and of course it's always the worst because you have no idea who this other person is um <laughs> they know you from from seeing your face on camera and stuff but uh anyway it turns out that uh, another dfs player that lives in the same town and uh, we followed each other on twitter and you know we chat every now and again and um then i had a person come up to me at work um at, at my cpa job and said my brother thinks you're they're just you're just can't believe that you know there's somebody from from sterling illinois that's uh, one of the, the faces of of dfs and she goes i have no idea what he's talking about but he thinks you're kind of a big deal and you know i didn't know what to say because this is you know this is a co-worker. yes i'm a big deal i'm sdl cards 84 damn it so this is a co-worker at the cpa job and I, i'm pretty particular about keeping my cpa life you know mm-hmm separate just because it's awkward you know it's just it's a different it's a different world obviously but um not that i don't talk about it with people who know and that but uh but when it's just somebody out of the blue and uh so i had no idea what to say uh, you know i just try to brush it off like it's no big deal and um and she's like no he really thinks you're the 
you're the big deal. And I go, you know, do you want me to sign a piece of paper here? Or what, do you, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Uh, and uh, Keep grinding, SDL cards. She laughed. Uh, but uh, so that, I mean, there's and maybe one other interaction somewhere. But uh, so that's three, I guess, three, three people in the course of about six or seven years. Well, I mean, of course, at like RT parties and like DFS functions, I'm yeah, sure people and, come up to you. And, yeah, right. You know, like th- those people that interact with you on Twitter and stuff. But uh, just in terms of random encounters, like um, there was those two, and then a third person one one year when we were in St. Louis that was dead convinced that I was uh, Toby McGuire, and it, like <laughs> um, it was really awkward. I mean, that was probably. <laughs> Oh shoot! Um, I can see it. I mean, I can see it like, like a vague similarity. It was probably so that probably would have been like 2007. I don't think I was married yet, so that would have been like 13 years ago. So I would have been 23 at the time, and he's like seven years older than me, so he would have been about 30. He just um, saw Spider Man. Yeah, it was right around. It was right around when when one of the Spider-Man movies was released and I was like, no, I'm not. And, and this girl says, you're just saying that because you don't want to draw it. I'm like, no, I'm not. Um, so that was, you know, that was my only other claim to fame, I guess. I, maybe I should have taken that and run with it and tried to, you know, try you be a stunt double. <laughs> but uh, it, it was really, it was really odd because, my wife was with me and we weren't married yet. Um, and I can't remember whether Mary Jane, you mean, is that what you're talking about? <laughs> so, and we were at, I think it was when we were at like the uh, Anheuser-Busch plant and I think we were doing the tour. So maybe she had a few beverages uh, before, you know, before she uh, saw me. And, and <laughs> she I had looked, beer goggles on. Well, yeah. I mean, you take, you know, you take the three and you move it up to a nine or whatever. I, you know, every, <laughs> every beer bumps you up by one. So um yeah that was it i can't think of any more awkward uh, personal encounters or, or anybody else coming up to me but uh i don't know it's it's kind of fun to get uh, to get some recognition every now and again so you mentioned the accounting job and this is i always thought this was wild i always find it fascinating i don't know how you do it you have a wife you have kids uh you grind like every single sport now nascar but i, I imagine you'll fall back on nascar to some degree right. but all the other sports come back and uh, how do you, and you pump out content, you're on air, uh, you know, you're, you're doing different videos, you're doing articles. How do you, and you have a full-time accounting job. Like, how do you do that? Yeah, it's been a lot easier the last three months because I haven't really, there hasn't been much on the RG side to do with uh, the sports world shutdown. So, um, I'm probably one of the best people, at least that I know in terms of, managing my time because I almost have to be uh, otherwise you know you're you're just you're not going to get through it if you're trying to do maybe a little bit more than than what you should be which at the busiest um, I probably am you know committing to maybe a, a little bit more than uh, than I should for my own sanity but I will usually have a, my day planned out when it starts you know here's what I need to get done today um, here's what I have to do for roto grinders today. And if it's, you know, if I got to get up an hour earlier than usual, uh, I'll get up an hour earlier than usual to do. What's that? What's an hour earlier than usual? Like um, seven. I mean, I usually, I'm usually up at six 30. Uh, so five 30 would be uh, an hour earlier. Um, I usually go to bed about 10 30. So, you know, you're still getting about seven hours of sleep there. 
uh, if you're getting up at five thirty, and and so you know from five thirty to seven, I can knock out my surveys or rankings or you know a little article or whatever whatever needs to be done on the RG side, uh, or you can do it you know the night before and sleep in a little bit, but uh, you know then that way you can get to the day the day job at eight and and do the eight to five and and then come home and uh, you know that works out well with. Uh, with lock time in the evenings that you can still set lineups in the hour leading up to lineup lock, which you almost have to be around for, for MLB lineups or NBA late scratches or, you know, things of that nature. And obviously football's on the weekend. So the the schedule ends up kind of working itself out because, you know, the CPA job is the probably the slowest in like October, November. That's probably our slowest time of the year, which is obviously one of the biggest times, uh, for sports because you got NFL going on, you've got golf, you've got basketball generally starting around that time frame, And then the busy time uh, with me being a tax accountant is February, March, and April, which February, you know, basketball is heading towards the playoffs, football's done, uh, baseball starts up in April. And so basically, you know, I'm only working with maybe one sport, uh, February, March, and April. And, and I do a lot more of my content um, rotor grinders has been nice enough to work with my schedule throughout the years to where, you know, maybe my, my schedule is a little bit more shifted towards doing some RG work on the weekends, you know, filling in for meansy or filling in for cheese on the weekends. Um, and, and so, you know, it's, it's basically just planning out your days and, and planning out, you know, your time. And uh, my wife doesn't work. So she stays home and is able to, to do a lot more with the kids and, and helping out around the house. So, you know, couldn't do that without, without her helping out too. And, uh, it just, it, it works out and it just, it takes some planning and, and thought and, and some motivation to, you know, keep on schedule every day. Yeah. A couple of things. Well, you mentioned the, uh, you know, making lineups and having to be around for your making lineups uh, all the way up the, the lock. And uh, does the wife, do, do the kids know, like, do you like go off and do an office? Do you have like a man cave when it's like six thirty East coast, 30 minutes left until time. And I assume that adjusts, uh, you know, dinner time and things that, you know, as well. Uh, how, how do they work around? How does the whole house work around the schedule of like, I have to make lineups right now. I'll talk to you in 26 minutes. Right. <laughs> so um, our life it, it tends to work um, in, in this capacity because um, my wife has a, has a medical condition and, and not bad, but she was born with a mild case of cerebral palsy, which has given her just a little bit of uh, altered feeling in, in the right side of her body. So uh, it is uncomfortable for her to drive simply because she doesn't have as much feeling in the right side of her body. So, you know, most people um, gas and brake with their right foot and it's pretty hard to drive without, you know, without having really working at it um, without accessing your right foot. So she doesn't by choice, um, not that she couldn't, but she just doesn't want to put people at risk and all that. She, she generally doesn't drive. Um, and so during the day when I'm at work, how we handle it most of the time is uh, her mother is still in town and uh, we'll usually come over and get the kids and get her if they need to run errands or uh, get some lunch or whatever the case may be kind of around like one or two o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, So most of the time my wife and and kids will eat lunch a little bit later in the day. Uh, So whether that's one, one 32 o'clock, um, they're eating lunch and I've kind of, you know, even when I'm working, a lot of times I won't eat until like one o'clock as well. So we're kind of naturally on that schedule where we eat lunch and dinner a little bit later. Um, and with me being in the central time zone, lock time is usually at six. 
Uh, so then we can, you know, we can eat dinner and stuff after that. And it, it works out, you know, it works out pretty well in terms of uh, getting that schedule worked. And um, I'm in the basement usually, you know, whenever I'm doing a show right now, doing this interview, I'm in the basement. So the kids can still be wild upstairs or what have you. And, and I can still make lineups and they kind of know uh, whatever I'm, I'm downstairs, I'm generally doing something, you know, important with work or DFS or something. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, I, I, I'm going to have to need to remember, you know, how to get back in that routine again, when we get the, uh, the, the seven o'clock, six o'clock lock times back uh, for some of these major sports, but I'm ready for it. How, how are the kids doing for uh, during the quarantine in the last three months or so, or is school, I think is a, I guess it depends upon the state. Mine are saying most of them just basically homeschooling in some places yeah. it's, it's over. Have you had to learn how to do certain subjects? You're dusting off on geography and things like that. Yeah. So um, our oldest is uh, advanced uh, math curriculum. Uh, I guess I, I had no idea where he gets the math knowledge, but <laughs> so uh, he was in fourth grade last year. He's moving into fifth grade now. And obviously the, the quarantine was at the end of the school year. So he was kind of starting to get into fifth grade stuff. Uh, but a lot of this stuff was not math that they had taught in the classroom throughout the year. Uh, so they're doing, it's like an online, it was an online curriculum where it shows you a video. So it shows you the concepts and then it goes back and quizzes you on the various concepts. Well, when you haven't seen these in action and worked with them in the classroom, it's a little bit hard for somebody that's nine or 10 years old to retain it all. And, and so there was a few lessons that I went up and helped him with and the video starts and I'm kind of watching it with him and I'm like, Oh no. Um, <laughs> you know, I, it has been 20 years since I have worked with a rhombus. You're you know, an accountant. I, I, You're accountable for all things uh, numbers. You should know, I know but I am not an engineer. <laughs> There's a difference between accounting and engineering. And so he's dealing with rhombus and parallelograms and, <laughs> and all these things that, we've got a virtual protractor on the screen and I'm like, Oh boy, this is going to be a little bit of a struggle. It's been a, it's been a long time since I've worked with a rhombus uh, or a parallelogram and uh, we got through it. And uh, I looked at him, I said, are you planning to be an engineer? And he said, no. And I said, you'll probably never use this again, but uh, you know, it's going to be tough because a lot of the stuff that they've learned over the end of the school year, it's, you're retaining it when the new school year starts is going to be difficult. So they're probably going to have to do a little bit more review uh, at the beginning of the next school year, but who knows if that's going to be, you know, in person or if that's still going to be remote. Uh, But I do have a newfound appreciation for teachers that, you know, you've got 24 kids in a class or or 20 kids or 26 kids or what have you uh, running around with different needs and different social behaviors uh, and, and trying to, you know, to work with them and, and keep everybody uh, learning on the same path, you know, over the course of a day, it's difficult. And uh, you can see that just trying to work from home with, uh, with two and uh, they, you know, they made it through the end of the year. I think they're, they're happy to have a little bit of a break now. And I'm definitely happy to have a little bit of a break now, but uh, they're doing okay. It's, uh, it's summer, at least they can get outside now and do a few things, but uh no vacations, no, you know, swim trips or anything like that. That's been a little bit uh, tough on them. Uh, we were supposed to go to St. Louis about a week ago, had tickets for uh, for them to see their first game at uh, Bush Stadium down there, which obviously didn't happen. So that was a little bit of a bummer. But uh, all things considered on a relative scale, none of us have gotten sick. Uh, we're all doing pretty good. You know, Cards, this isn't about me, but in another life, uh, not too long ago, well, 
10 years, whatever it is, maybe I, I was a teacher. So I retroactively uh, appreciate your newfound appreciation. Well, thank you, Dean, for your service. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I, I use teacher as a very liberal term. Uh, I was a pool sub, but you know, you know, I was qualified to teach and I'm, I'm just getting flashbacks. Never mind me as far as teaching. Well, what is the, I thought you were going to have a hot take as far as, um, What's the real controversial way that people are doing math now where it's like half the side are on one, half the side on the other? Do you know what I'm talking about? I like yeah, it's a new it, format. It's a common core. The, the new That's common core math um, yeah. basically revolves into breaking things down into tens. So if I take instead of 13 times three, right? 13 times three and long multiplying it out to get 39, they break it down into powers of 10. So they break it down into 10 times three, right? 10 times three is 30. And then the three times three is nine. And then you add those numbers together to get 39. It adds an extra step in most people's minds because you're splitting it out and doing two steps and then adding. Um, I don't, I don't like it, but okay. I think it's just a function of it's because old man yells at cloud and I learned it the other way. It's and because, you're not used to it because I learned it the other way. I'm not used to it. And so you're not going to get a whole lot of people that are like 35 and above that are probably going to agree with that curriculum outside of the te- and some of the teachers in that age range don't like it either. Um, but I understand the logic seeing my kid work through it, that when you can break things down to tens, it's a lot easier to grasp. Uh, and, and, and they can probably get to the answer just as fast doing it the, the quote unquote new way. Um, again, inherently I don't like it because that's not the way I learned it, but I understand the logic behind it. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to go off the rails against it or anything like that, but it does make it a little more difficult uh, to teach them some, some concepts and, and, you know, the way that they're going to need to do it in school versus trying to take the shortcut and here's my way which if I do that with the kids, then that's going to confuse them when they go back to the classroom and try to do it. So yeah, I don't like it because that's not the way I learned it, but uh, I don't necessarily think the logic behind it is flawed. And I think the people that say, Oh, what, what is four steps is now 60 steps. I mean, that's an exaggeration. And in reality, once you get the hang of the new method, those multiple steps do go by pretty quickly and you can get the answer in, you know, in pretty much the same amount of time. Uh, why accounting? Did you always want to be an accountant or you just kind of found it in college? So when I was, <clears throat> uh, this probably has to go back. My father is very fris- fiscally responsible. Um, <laughs> and by that, I mean, when I was growing up, you know, it was, and we, we always took vacations and things like that, but like the household expenses were always, you know, we buy the off-brand ketchup and the off-brand hamburger buns and, um, and and all that. So I learned fiscal responsibility from a young age. And I had a few jobs, you know, odds and ends, doing some tutoring when I was in high school and things of that nature. And uh, I started working at a retail store in town when I was 16. And so before I got out of high school and went to college, I had $3,000 saved up or something like that. And so for graduation, my dad says, I'll match whatever you save throughout high school. So I saved $3,000. said, I'll match that. So I'll give you $6,000 and I'm going to take you to meet my stockbroker and open a brokerage account. 
and uh, you know we'll let them give you some ideas of uh, what you want what, what you can do, uh, but you can pick what you want to invest in. And I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, I'm 17 years old or whatever, and I've got six thousand dollars here, and I can I can decide what I want to invest in. And so we went to a local stockbroker and picked out you know a few stocks at the time. Uh, or whatever. And, you know, I, they gave me a list of, Hey, here's 10 or 12 stocks um, that, that we've got on our radar right now. Here's the industries that they're all in, what have you. Uh, so I invested in them and, and opened a brokerage account, $6,000 in my name. And every month or so I get a statement and, uh, and, you know, check on how things were doing and kind of review where it was. And they, it was pretty cool. And so I, I developed an interest in, I was always really strong in math growing up. Uh, and I hope you picked Apple and not Enron. Uh, I did not invest in Enron. Uh, I'll <laughs> tell you the stocks in a minute. I actually I still own them. Um, more of nostalgia than anything at this point. So um, so I had an interest in math and finance from that, that time. And uh, so I went to college um, and I graduated at the top of my high school class. And so our high school had a program with the local community college that if you graduated in the top portion of your class, you can go to community college for free. And obviously knowing my parents being fiscally responsible and having that upbringing myself, I could not bring myself to go to a four-year college to get the same undergraduate courses and pay like 10 grand a year um, compared to going to community college for free. You know, after two years, you're going to end up with the same credits. Then you can transfer to a four-year university. Um, so I went to the community college and I said, you know, I'm going to start taking business courses. I know I want something to do with business, whether it's finance, you know, maybe I want to be a stockbroker myself or a trader on the floor or whatever. And so I was in an accounting course, my freshman year in college. And, uh, this teacher, uh, his name was Charles West at the community college. Kind of, you know, I, I had like two courses with him my first year. And he, him and I were just chatting one day and he said, what do you want to do? And I said, I really like finance. I said, you know, my dad's got me kind of into the stock market and, and I, you know, I kind of enjoy following the stock market and, and financial world and things like that. And he goes, if you get an accounting degree, you can do anything you want in the finance world. You can be an accountant if you want, or you can still use that degree and you can get involved in finance. You can work on the stock exchange. You can work, you know, with a stockbroker. Basically, an accounting degree opens that door for you to be in finance if you want to. Whereas the finance degree, you know, you're kind of stuck in that area. And if you decide you want to go into accounting, you're probably going to need more schooling to take it take it that far. So based on that advice, I, I went into the accounting side of it, took a few more accounting classes, enjoyed it, um, you know, got an internship when I was end up going to NIU uh, for my junior and senior years and, and my uh, graduate degree and got an internship uh, with a CPA firm, you know, between my sophomore and junior years. And that's, uh, that's the firm I'm working with today. So um, it was, you know, it was all that community college uh, instructor kind of getting me on the accounting path. And uh, it, it's a grind. I mean, I, I, I won't say that it's been easy, uh, but you know, it's, uh, I, I enjoy doing taxes and, and, and helping people and, you know, talking with clients and, and things of that nature and not just, uh, being in an office crunching numbers all day. I've got a lot of uh, people that I, you know, talk to and meet with, and that makes the days go by a lot faster. So um, as for the stocks, 
Uh, funny story because they still exist uh, at the same brokerage in the same portfolio, which I've added to uh, throughout the years. Uh, but I could not bring myself to sell those first two positions that I had, uh, which I bought. So, you know, again, I was 17 and now I'm 30, I'll be 36 uh, in, in a week. Uh, so almost 20 years. Uh, so the, uh, the, the two positions are, the first one is Kroger stock. Um, which obviously, you know, they're Midwestern based. I think they're based in Cincinnati, but uh, grocer retailer, uh, which has been one of the only stocks performing very well throughout the pandemic because everybody needs groceries. And the Kroger stock that I own um, is uh, it's trading at $32 now. And after a few splits, I bought it for 10 bucks. So I'm up like 205% on my Kroger stock over the 20 years that I've had it. Uh, so that's a plus. The uh, the other holding is, okay, it was 1997 or uh, 2000, somewhere. I guess it was closer to 2000. And my stockbroker and I had this discussion because cell phones were just coming out. I said, I want to get in on this cell phone thing, uh, this technology deal. And I, I want to buy like a, a phone retailer. Um, you know, you could buy AT&T was the blue chip stock and and we talked about it and looked at some stuff and we settled on Sprint and Sprint has been the only company over the course of the last 15 years that has seemingly botched every decision uh, when it comes to mobile phones. Like, do you know anybody that has Sprint as their cell phone provider right now? I don't. I don't. I mean, I don't. Yeah. I couldn't say. So these, the Sprint stock has reverse split several times throughout the years. And so my cost basis in the shares that I bought of Sprint is like 70 bucks and it's trading at $8 right now. Oh, um, I physically almost could not sell that because the commission on the sale would net me with basically nothing. Uh, so I'm more than double on my Kroger stock and I'm basically next to nothing on my Sprint. Uh, and so my, you know, my $6,000 of investments back from my uh, 17, 18 year old days have basically washed out uh, since then. Uh, you know, I think with the Kroger being up so much, I may be up a bit as a whole, but uh, those two positions are still there just as nostalgia more than anything. And uh, I probably could sell the Kroger since it's up so much. I can't see that climbing a whole lot else, but or a whole lot more, but uh, you know, it's been interesting. Uh, DraftKings went public a month or so ago. Um, that was a miss uh, by me. DraftKings went public at like $19 a share. And, uh, I, I set a order to buy it at like 15. I figured there's no sports going on right now. How's DraftKings going to rise right away? Uh, it never got down to 15 and every gambling stock has just been flying over the last month. And I think DraftKings ended up getting up over 40 bucks, uh, a share. So it's more it was than like 44 or 43 yeah. the other day. Yeah. yeah. I think it's down to like 39 or, or 40 today. It's uh, come back just a bit, but I mean, it's more than doubled since it's IPO. So congrats to those guys and, and everybody that got in on the ground floor there. Obviously, uh, DraftKings has been an innovator in the in the sports betting space um, since the since they launched. And uh, it's, you know, it's obviously paid off for them. And they've got a, a stock that's doing uh, pretty well right now. And uh, that's, you know, that's great for everybody that invested and all the, uh, the founders and uh, people that put hard work into that company. And uh, I missed the boat on the uh, the bump there. So uh, you win some, you lose some. Uh, by the way, can you confirm this story? Grant uh, has told me, Grant, of course, contributor here at Roto-Grinders, yep. 
his dad apparently is a star in the agricultural accounting community. And like, you're a fan of his. <laughs> so I, I do taxes for a living and I live in rural Illinois. So most of, most of my clients are farmers. I mean, I work with a lot of farmers. Um, the practice I inherited from the partner who retired when I was coming up, uh, he had a lot of farmers and that's kind of the space that I've taken. Not that I, I didn't grow up as a farmer. My dad worked on a farm for a few years. Uh, my grandpa owned a farm. And so I've got some knowledge of farming and, and, you know, a lot of clientele that are farmers and Grant's dad, uh, Paul has been one of the leaders, um, in the ag accounting community for a long time, uh, works at a competing firm, but, um, you know, I, I read his uh, stuff that gets published and, uh, he's got to be getting close to retirement, I think in a few years, but, uh, you know, if you were a inspired CPA in the ag space, um, you know, most people in that, in that space would strive to be what Grant's dad is. And, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know Grant on an interpersonal level enough, and I don't know his dad on an interpersonal level enough. Surely they have some characteristics that are the same, but when you see and talk to Grant <laughs> and you see that he can chug a beer in 1.5 seconds and you, you hear, you know, you read the stuff that his dad publishes, which is about as dry a content no offense. I mean, I'm in the same space, but if you're not in the space, reading about corn and soybeans and agriculture loans uh, is not the most inspiring content to read from an outsider's perspective. And you see that that's the stuff that Grant's dad does. I mean, they, they seem worlds apart on the surface. So um, I'm really curious to see, you know, if you had, if I had a, a day to sit down and chat with Grant and his dad together, like, what are the three things you most have in common? Because it seems like your day-to-day lives are, are so much different. And obviously everybody, uh, everybody has that path with their parents and, and surely there's ties somewhere, but uh, it's just, it's pretty fascinating that, uh, you know, when I saw Grant for the first time, I'm like, your last name, like, do you know, Paul, that's my dad. I'm like, no way. <laughs> and um, and that, we talked about that uh, the last time when we were down in Nashville, we were in an Uber when we had this, uh, uh, this revelation. So it was pretty cool. It's a small world. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I, uh, I'm going to humble brag here. I'm going to get you all jealous. I actually had dinner with Grant and his father, not just the three of us. Okay. Group. Do you, and, are there things in common? Like, do you know? <laughs> well, I, I know mean, uh, his father reads a lot. Like he's a big reader. And like, so that, that yeah, it, it sort of makes sense. It kind of met uh, and Grant's of course, more the talker, but and I think Grant is uh, somebody that kind of opened up more like later in life. He was probably a quiet kid. Uh, I feel like I talked to him about this, but uh, he's obviously uh, <laughs> gone the other way on that. Uh, but yeah, his, and his father seemed like a perfectly nice guy. Um, and he, he goes to bed like at eight or nine o'clock. Uh-huh. <laughs> we talked about that. It was really early and he just reads a ton. He's super smart. Uh, so it all sort of he checks is out. Super, he is super sharp. I mean, I, I, I admire and I am proud of what I've been able to accomplish as a, a CPA in the agriculture space. Uh, but I'm a tenth of what uh, what his dad is in terms of my knowledge. And obviously, you know, he's got about uh, 20 extra years or 30 extra years of experience on me at this point. But a uh, smart guy, um, you know, we've even had uh, we've reached out to him with some questions on, on various things. And, and he's, you know, responded and uh, given us some guidance. And uh, yeah, great, seems like a great guy. And again, I haven't met him, but uh I've uh, read his stuff for, for years and uh, it, it just, it's a, it's a primary example of just, uh, you know, everybody's uh, 
seven degrees from Kevin Bacon or what have you. It's uh, it's pretty it's pretty crazy. <laughs> Six, but nobody's counting. We got we need okay, new person yeah. cards. I don't know who the new person's going to be. We have to replace Kevin Bacon. He hasn't been doing as many movies. That's probably a conversation for another podcast. But uh, I don't know. John C. Riley appears in a lot of things, but. Uh, let's talk about some of your favorite sports teams. Why are the St. Louis Cardinal fans the greatest baseball fans of all time? Why is that the greatest fan base? I, I don't know. I feel like it's <laughs> defend them. I feel like it's, and I'm not going to defend it. Um, are, are you familiar with the best fans in baseball Twitter account? Yeah. Well, I think it retweets all the terrible things. That yes. Cardinals fans yes. Say. Yeah. So look, <laughs> I'm going to say one thing is that if you dedicated a Twitter account, to tweet out the worst from any fan base, it's going to be just as bad as what the awful Cardinal fans are, right? The, the awful Yankee takes and the awful Cubs takes and, and all that. You know, if it, Felix PA is going to be a superstar. Oh, retweet that from a Cubs fan account. <laughs> um, you know, it, That's nine, a, a deep cut, Felix PA. 10% <laughs> of the people listening to this will know the Felix the PA other. reference. Um, <laughs> you know, you got to go back about 20 years for that. But uh so the best fans of baseball Twitter account, it's cool. It's a parody, you know, all the parody, parody accounts are fun, uh, but you could do that with fans of any team. Uh, it means that you have fans, right? Uh, maybe the Marlins can't, you can't have them because they don't. <laughs> it wouldn't them. be as funny to do it like against Islanders fans. Or right. Like yeah. That. yeah, yeah it's, it's not, it's not yeah, the same. I'm sure they're just as dumb. The, uh, but things. they have, you haven't won anything and you know, you, you gotta right? Envy uh, winning breeds envy. So, I, I just, I think it's a little bit of a stereotype. Um, you know, it, I, I was at the game where Tony Gwynn, I think he got like his 2,998th hit in St. Louis or something like that. Uh, he was right around 3,000 hits and, you know, he got like a standing ovation. Oh, uh, you know, yeah. And, and the fans in St. Louis are generally just polite and, you know, it is what it is. Uh, 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 yeah, Cubs Cardinals games, we've been to tons of them. I haven't ever really seen any hostility other than, uh, maybe people on each side that have had a few too many uh, adult beverages, uh, you know, that tends to throw the uh, the inhibitions out the window a little bit. But uh, everything's generally polite uh, when you go to a game down there. And I think some of the fans have embraced the, you know, that uh, that that title a little bit. And, They're like a representative of it. They want to. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, some take it a little bit too far, but it's. You know, if you've never been to the stadium, it's a great place to see a game. If we ever get a chance to see a game again, uh, you know, it's it's a great place to go see a game and and you know, other things to do in the area. It's uh, I'm obviously biased, but uh, the new stadium is nice and it's not. Did you ever have you say have you seen any baseball games in St. Louis at any point? Uh, no, I, I've been to like 16 or 17 ballparks around the country. I've done some road trips and. Years ago, I was in the area for a soccer tournament, actually playing soccer, and I had the choice of going to a baseball game uh, just to see the old uh, Bush Stadium, and there was a, a theme park. What was What's the theme park in the area? And I chose the Six park. Flags. That's where I went, I think. I don't okay. know. I went to a theme park instead, but uh, probably a poor choice. I probably should go to the baseball <laughs> game. Well, so we have both of those planned for this year. I have a Six Flags season pass, which I don't think I'll ever get to use. Uh, they have said that if the parks closed all year, they'll, it'll be good for next year or for at least a few months of next year. Uh, so we're going to go down there this year with the kids, see a ball game, go to Six Flags and do both of those activities. But, um, you know, the, the old Bush Stadium, uh, obviously, you probably know just it was a was an enclosed microwave. Right. Well, diamond cutter, right? The old school diamond yes, cutter. Yes. It was just a giant enclosed circular microwave of heat. 
and <laughs> AstroTurf. Like all the worst combinations you can get. 110 degrees in the summer, AstroTurf, and this dome-like atmosphere with this giant cookie. And it if you went to a day game in the summer, it was just hot. And, and I mean, it's always going to be hot in St. Louis in the summer. Uh, but the new stadium has an open-air outfield. Um, there's plenty of shade, you know, you, and you go to enough games, you know, the seat, the best seats to get in the day, day games to where you're not in the sun. And, you know, almost every night game is comfortable just because you don't have the AstroTurf anymore. You don't have the enclosed stadium. And, uh, you know, the atmosphere is always pretty positive. You can go root for the, the visiting team if you want to. And unless you're outrageous, you know, you're not uh, uh, you're not going to get heckled too much. And, um, you know, we've been I've probably been to 100 games. And you know, your favorite it, at the game moment as a sports fan doesn't have to be baseball. Um, One sort of stand out for you. Were you at one of the World Series games by chance or no? No, no. So the, the my favorite at the game moment um, was, let's see, there was back-to-back years where they, they played the Dodgers in the NLCS and I, I get them, uh, they get, I get them mixed up. So I want to make sure I get, uh, I want to make sure I get the right uh, game here. So uh, World Series have always said that we're going to go to a game, uh, to a World Series game. And, you know, 06, they won the World Series. It wasn't in a place at that point where we could go to a World Series game. I started my job in 07. Um, you know, I was just graduating from college. We weren't going to go to a World Series game in 06. But it was really cool seeing them win the World Series over Detroit in 06. So I said, if we have the financial means to do it, the next time the Cardinals make the World Series, we're going to go to a game. So 2011, they make the sell that sprint stock if you need to. <laughs> yeah, I net about sixty get, get bucks. A few extra bucks. Um, so <laughs> I said the next time they make the World Series, we're gonna go to a game. 2011, they make the World Series. Got to hold up to my promise. We got to go to a game. Well, our son, our our oldest son, is like a year old at the time, and you know my parents weren't around or whatever. We couldn't get a sitter for a couple days, and we've got a one year old at home. Are you really gonna leave him? You're not gonna take him with you at that age uh, to, to go to a world series game at, you know, 900 bucks a ticket or what have you. So Would you uh, have to buy him a seat. I don't know how that works. I, I don't know the rules, uh, yeah. you know, it, and again, the kid at a ball game at that, sure. just screaming and things are going to happen. It just, it, it wasn't going to happen. So um, against my better judgment could have had tickets to world series, 2011 game six. Uh, which was the David Freeze game, which, you know, hmm. probably been the most, uh, one of the most memorable World Series games in recent memory, even for non-fans of, of those two teams. Uh, maybe not for the Texas side, but so really kicking Nelson myself. Cruz should have caught that ball, right? Yes, he should have. I, I'd say 75% of the time he probably catches that ball. But um, yeah, I, I, it's a weird thing that it, the history just forgets that that, like, you know, yeah. I don't know. Like, I don't want to say give they him crap. They scored or... two. Josh Hamilton hit a home run in extra innings. They got the lead in the, like, the 11th inning and gave it back again. It was a remarkable game. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I, I cut you off. I just, no, that's it. Right. popped in my head as far as the Cruz thing. Yeah. So, so, right, it's in my head from that moment. When the Cardinals make the World Series, we're going to go to a game. 2014, they make the World Series against the Red Sox, and they just got blasted in that series. And our youngest son was one at that time. And uh, so we didn't go to a game in that World Series. And so now I've broken my own personal promise twice, right? <laughs> We're going to go to a World Series game. So 2019, 
the Cardinals have that postseason series against the Braves. They get the 10 runs in the first inning. They make the NLCS. Yes. The moment the Cardinals make the NLCS, I'm making plans, man. We are going to a World Series game if they make it. Hell or high water, we're going to a World Series game. So it's like game one of the NLCS. And I'm messaging DB, hey, if the Cardinals make the World Series, man, we're going down to a game, and I might need this day off of Road, of Grinders Live or XM or whatever. And Dan's like, bro, the, the NLCS just started. They haven't even played a game yet. What are you doing? <laughs> so I had to tell him, you know, three times I have said, if the Cardinals make the World Series, we're going to a game, and I haven't planned for in advance, and we haven't gone. So I am doing everything in my power to make the plans this time. If the Cardinals make the World Series, we're going to go. And I don't care if it's for before game one of the NLCS. I'm letting you know that on October 18th and 19th, if the Cardinals are in the World Series, I'm not going to be able to do a show. And, and I don't miss, you know, I don't miss shows. I'm a planner. I'm not going to leave people high and dry. So, you know, I'm letting him know far too long in advance. Uh, and so he gave me some grief over it. Um, maybe a little less so once I explain the scenario. Yeah. And he goes, you totally just jinxed yourself. And then the Cardinals <laughs> went and got absolutely swept by the Nationals in the NLCS. And so, you know, no World Series game, no plans. And, and now he jostles me a little bit about it every now and again. It's, uh, it's all in good fun. Um, Pop quiz. I did some Googling here. Uh, I'm going to cut you off. I apologize. But uh, you mentioned Tony Gwynn. Uh, He faced Greg Maddox 107 times in his life. How many times did Greg Maddox strike him out? Boy, Tony Gwynn never struck out. He probably had like a 10% strikeout rate, something like that. Um, How many at-bats? 107. Let's go with seven. Uh, Let's go with zero. Zero times? Never struck out, and he batted 415 against him. Yeah, I was going to say 400 average. Yeah, um, and Maddox remarkable. got every corner. Maddox, Maddox oh, yeah. got Eric Gregg's uh, strikes at all times. <laughs> I would have never Greg guessed Gregg's. zero Ks. So you asked me about my favorite um, in-person memory. So uh, 2013, we did go to an NLCS game. And St. Louis is four hours away. And so, you know, we had somebody watch the kids. Again, our, our youngest um, had just been born. And so this was the Dodgers in the NLCS. And game one uh, was a 13-inning game. The Cardinals won on a walk-off. And so the next day, we drove down there for game two. It was a day game. It was like a 1 or 2 o'clock start, 3 o'clock start, something like that. It was about a four-hour drive. So we just left at like 8 or 9 in the morning uh, and went down for the day game. And so this game was game two of the 2015 NLCS – or 2000 or 2013, sorry, I misspoke. 2013 NLCS. And this was when Michael Waka was first coming up. And people don't remember this now, but when Michael Waka first came into the league, like everyone thought he was going to be an ace. And he pitched like an ace, like his first year. And then he had some arm issues and he's, he's been dreadful ever since. But in game two of this NLCS, it was Waka against Clayton Kershaw and the Cardinals won one to nothing. Um, they only had two hits in the game. I just pulled up the box score. And Waka outpitched Kershaw, and I think he pitched like seven scoreless innings, struck out Yasiel Puig three times, and, uh, and the Cardinals won one to nothing. It was actually a very brisk game. Yeah. Two hours and 40 minutes, according to the – which you never see, a playoff game under three hours. And so the, the game was done by, you know, five or six o'clock. And then we drove home that night and got home at like 10 or 11. And so it was literally a day trip uh, down to St. Louis for the, uh, the LCS game and, and got back home that night. And, uh, would not do that again. I was exhausted. 
uh, with eight or nine hours on the road and, and watching a playoff game. But like the atmosphere for a baseball, like an NLCS game or a World Series game is so much different. Like I, I, people say, say this with the NHL too. Oh, yeah. Like the playoff games, like 162 regular season games or 81 regular season games for NHL and NBA, like you don't get that type of playoff atmosphere in a regular season game in any sport other than maybe the NFL because there's only 16 games and every regular season game is important. Um, but the baseball playoff atmosphere is just so much different from a regular season game where, you know, from the jump, the pitches are more important. And so that, that was the best game I've seen in person still on the agenda to get to a world series game, hopefully someday, uh, before, you know, before I can't make it there anymore. But, uh, you know, when it happens, I'll, uh, I'll certainly be planning for it in advance again, if they make the NLCS, but, uh, hopefully if baseball doesn't fall off a cliff, and everybody stops acting like petulant children, uh, we can see the sport again at some point. But uh, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit worried about the future right now. Yeah, uh, again, this is not about me, but it just kind of triggered my memory as far as, uh, you know, you, you mentioned the Marlins earlier. You took your shots at them, rightfully so, well-deserved. Uh, once upon a time, I was a Marlins fan, and in 2003, I caught, uh, with, you know, they had a massive stadium. It was Joe Robbie Stadium at the time, Hard Rock Stadium now, wherever it's called, Hard Rock something. Uh, and like with 65,000 people, you know, for, Miami is an event town. When there's an event going on, we're coming out. Like then, then all of a sudden we're interested. The regular season, who cares, whatever. But uh, I saw the play, I don't remember when Conine uh, threw out, who was a really, really slow guy for San Francisco, and Pud Rodriguez held on the ball. I don't remember that play. There was like a collision at the plate. Yeah. Um, God, I can't remember who was running. Somebody super slow for the Giants. And then I saw the, the game where Miguel Cabrera – uh, hit the home run off of Roger Clemens when he's, what, 19 years old? Roger yeah, Clemens I remember that. Back. Uh, and then Alex Gonzalez later in that game hit a walk-off homer in the World Series, which is like, I just got lucky. So is that, uh, the, most, is that the most memorable? I was going to ask you, uh, is that your most memorable in-person experience there? How do you top that? Like, World yeah. Series game, Miguel Cabrera, you see him, you know, he gets brushed back by Clemens, bangs on a homer. <clears throat> bangs on a homer off Clemens at the time. It was supposed to be Roger Clemens' last, like, last game ever. And the Marlins fans, I know the Marlins fans aren't the best fans in the world, but they actually gave Clemens like a big standing ovation when he was coming off the mound. Uh, and then, of course, Alex Gonzalez did a walk-off homer down the left field line off of uh, one of the Weaver brothers. So, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to top that. That was pretty cool. Yeah, the Weaver, one of them might still be pitching. Who knows? Um, <laughs> they might still be able to get him out there tomorrow. Taking advantage of that rock pile out there <laughs> with, the, with the Angels. <laughs> yeah, story, for, the, story for another day, I The suppose. marine layer helps. Knocks there you the go. Balls down. <laughs> Got to uh, get that in. <laughs> why the Ravens? Why, why are we a Ravens fan? So – um, I, I was always a little deviant apparently, uh, growing up. The, the Cardinals thing is relatively easy to explain. Um, I've got some family and, uh, and friends and cousins that, uh, are Cardinal fans and, you know, a good chunk of my family's Cardinal fans. And that's not that far away. I mean, I'm two and a half hours from Chicago and four hours from St. Louis. You know, it, it's pretty easy to explain. Um, the Ravens thing is, is, there's a lot more nuance to the Ravens thing and it's a little bit weird. Um, but so I was a kid growing up in the late eighties. Uh, I wasn't, if I would have been like at an impressionable age in 85, when the bears won the super bowl, um, you know, I, I'd probably be a bears fan along with most of the other people in this area, but I was one in 85. So, you know, my impressionable age was more like 89, 90. You start to throw football around and, the best quarterback in the Midwest, right? Not Joe Montana out in San Francisco or Dan Marino in Miami. Jim Everett? I'm in the mid, uh, what's that? 
Jim Everett? I mean, Jim Everett, there's nobody in the Midwest. So <laughs> for whatever reason, uh, you know, watching football on TV, I, I, I took this liking to Bernie Kosar when I was like six or seven years old. Okay. And back in the day, they had these like full outfits for kids where you could get like the helmets and the jersey. Um, I forget who manufactured those. Somebody can let me know after they listen to this. But so I had the Browns helmet and my parents got me the Kosar jersey and um, and so I was a Browns fan just because I liked Bernie and, uh, they had a few years in there where they were good, right. They, they almost made the Super Bowl and lost to Denver, had a heart, couple heartbreakers against Denver. And so I was a Browns fan not a diehard by any means. Like I have no emotional attachment to the city of Cleveland, obviously for any reason. And so the Browns, you know, up and moved to Baltimore and everybody in Cleveland hates Art Modell because he moved the team to Baltimore. But again, I have no emotional attachment to the city of Cleveland. So like, well, same team. I'll be a fan of them. They moved to Baltimore. It's the same players that I, you know, I know. And, and then the first year that the Ravens were out in Baltimore, we went out there on a summer trip and went to the training camp and I got uh, autographs. I still got Matt Stover's autograph hanging around somewhere. The punter or the kicker? The kicker. Yeah. He was the kicker for like 20 years. (laughs) And, and so we went to the training camp the first year they were out in Baltimore. That was cool. You know, I was a kid, I was 12 years old. And, you know, the players are more apt to chat with you and sign autographs. And it's their first year out in the new city. So they're trying to make an impression with the fan base. And so, you know, I got a bunch of autographs and I'm like, okay, well, I'm a Ravens fan now uh, just because the team from Cleveland moved to Baltimore. And so I'm a Ravens fan. They suck for like the first four or five (laughs) years out there. Uh, And then a team comes back to Cleveland. Yeah. Well, I've got, again, I've got no emotional attachment to the city of Cleveland so I'm not going to go back and root for the Browns like all the players that I followed out to Baltimore. I'm, you know, I'm a Baltimore fan. And when Baltimore played in Chicago and when they played in St. Louis, you know, we went to the games. And uh, so I've kind of, you know, kept that Baltimore fandom in a nice way to, you know, the people, the, the local fans already don't like me because I'm not a fan of the Cubs. Might as well not <laughs> like the Bears either. And uh, just, you know, be a total deviant about it. So, Are you a Bulls fan? I, I don't have a team in the NBA. Like I, I, I never re- I, I liked Jordan and the Bulls growing you up. You should have found never- the Jordan. It's like the wheelhouse. You were there yeah, for the perfect years. Yep. And I was I would always watch the NBA and I was a fan, but um, you know, I, I never I never watched it with that intense fandom that I always did baseball. Baseball and the Cardinals has always kind of been where my my biggest passion has lied. So I don't and then fantasy came around. So now like that's what I care about in the NBA. Like I don't have an NBA team and the Bulls are dreadful. Um, you know, if, if the Bulls make the playoffs, I root for them. But um, so, yeah, I'm not anti anybody. And but I appreciate Jordan. I think the LeBron is the LeBron is the oh. most dominant athlete in the NBA. There's no question about it. But comparative to the skill level of the other players at that time, nobody touches the level that Michael Jordan was above the NBA at that point in time. And and you're not going to realize that unless you live through those years and yes some of it's a testament to you know the the quality of the other athletes wasn't as great at that time but some of it is also a testament to Michael's work ethic and what he put in and just how good he was comparatively with his training uh, compared to the other players at that time and I think that you know the documentary series certainly showed that and uh, you know I'm appreciative of, of having lived through those years. I'm tempted to throw shade, but we'll move on. What? <laughs> the documentary, well, the documentary series that Michael Jordan produced. Yeah, no, I there is there is absolutely no doubt that 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 
that docu-series was uh, agenda-driven based on, you know... Ask Horace like, Grant about it. He's not... Right, yeah. It. Horace Grant is livid about that docu-series <laughs> because basically it's his fault uh, that the that Sam Smith got, you know, the dirt on the team and how bad of a person Jordan is. And uh, he's come out and said some choice words after it. So I'm not going to defend that. Um, but, like... Teams beat Michael Jordan up when he was playing and the dude would still, you know, play. He's playing 44 minutes a night and, and, and dropping, you know, dropping 30 plus. And uh, it, it was remarkable what those teams were able to accomplish. But, uh, you know, I, I think uh, Scottie Pippen maybe deserves a, a lot more recognition than he got uh, in that documentary series. And yeah, he might be a little bit of a jerk and you kind of got that vibe. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was an integral part of, of those championship teams as well. And uh you know, Jerry Pippen's Krause contracts are wild. Like the way yeah, the Bulls he, gave him nothing. And then like the Blazers gave him a ton of money and he wasn't good. Well, either Houston or Portland and he was traded to one of the other ones or, yeah, it was just amazing. The contract that he yeah. locked himself in on for you know, years. Sometimes uh, you, sometimes it's lucky to be on those early, like, you know, what the Cardinals got out of Albert Pujols for a decade. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he signs a, you know, a, a however many million dollar contract with the angels for his, uh, his more, you know, watered down years. And Hey, sometimes you get those rookie deals, man, and get, uh, get a hometown discount. And uh, that's how some teams are built. Let's get some quick hitters. I don't want to keep you from ever, I, I, forever. I, I do a bunch of things I wanted to ask you about still, but uh, you know, I don't want to keep you too I long. I couldn't believe it. I, I thought, you know, I saw that you talked to blender for like an hour and a half and I'm like, Holy cow, an hour and a half. There's no way Dean's going to be able to talk to, you know, boring me for an hour. We're almost there. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat proud of this. This is a, this is a trophy case moment for me. And how much DFS have we talked? A little, you know, we talked about the, we started with the XFL. <laughs> NASCAR, we've, yeah. we've built up from there. So, um, yeah. you know, I wanted to talk about like, uh, you know, draft streets. Like I, I remember playing against you and seeing you on draft street. Like I remember seeing your name. Like who, and like you would max enter. I think it was three entries. And I'm like, Who's yeah, this like three entries. <laughs> draft street was great, right? Uh, the draft street pricing will never be touched in, in DFS because oh, yeah. draft street was like, like a hundred K cap, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but guys would have a salary of like $10,906. <laughs> Everybody $10,242. And um, the Jets defense, I think, was what's like five bucks five against bucks. New England or something like right. that. It was amazing. And so, you know, that the stud players would always be like five figures. And so there's two there's two main things I remember about Draft Street that I'll be able to tell the stories of forever. A is uh, you lost points in the NBA for missed field goals. So yes. Carmelo Anthony was Baker always up. ridiculously cheap because – you'd get like negative 10 points a night from all the shots that he missed and free throws, two cards. Yes. It was, uh, it was, it was an interesting layer of strategy and B the first DFS controversy. One of the first ever DFS controversies, right? I just said all of the star players were always five figures. Oh, Steph Curry. There was a night where Steph Curry was a thousand bucks. Um, <laughs> the algorithm completely missed Steph Curry and there wasn't a whole lot of content in those days. Like DFS was still in the infancy. We had some content at Rotor Grinders, right? Dan had the morning podcast and, you know, you'd have maybe a, a article or two, but FanDuel was the big player at the time. And, you know, a lot of times the content would be more focused on that. And you had to scroll down the list to see like Steph Curry was a thousand dollars with all the other schlubs that were never getting into a game. And so if you didn't 
actively seek him out. Like, Oh, you're scrolling through the top price guys. And Hey, where's Steph Curry? You know, you might, you might not miss him on a big slate. Well, Steph Curry's a thousand bucks and you could get all the studs in with them. And so I probably the extra played. layer, by the way, cards. You remember the extra layer that is the whole Steph Curry, Steph Curry thing. What's that? The extra layer. He was questionable that night. He was hurt. No, I don't. So, I didn't remember that part. Yeah, he was questionable, and I didn't max enter Steph Curry in every lineup for that reason <laughs> because I was a dope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, and so of course he was a thousand bucks. He plays, and everybody who didn't play him is is hashtag mad online at the time. And uh, it was, you know, it was this big DFS scandal, which uh, doesn't hold a candle to some of the things you've seen in the, in the seven or eight years since, but uh, draft street was great. I mean, um, you know, I was one of the bigger players over there and uh, had a lot of contact with uh, the higher ups and, uh, uh, and I miss it. You know, I've got, I've uh, got a t-shirt hanging around somewhere that probably doesn't fit anymore, but same. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it, it was a good time. And uh, it was, that was the ground floor for me, a banner ad for draft street that I happened to see uh, back in 2011. And uh, you know, we're almost a decade, decade later. A couple more for you cards. Uh, some of your tweets. Uh, my oh, wife, no. my, my I... wife has a weird tendency to hoard certain things when they are on sale. Our current yes. toilet paper inventory is 122 rolls. This is March 12th. How many do you have today? Um, enough i imagine yes probably less um <laughs> all right if it gets under 100 that's when she starts to panic um you know you gotta have a six yeah we've got two kids so you know it's go goes a little bit faster off the off the rack but um it's very strange like she'll warn me like when coupons come out for things like and it's it's the laundry soap that's probably the other thing i referenced in that tweet and um and the toilet paper and uh that's fine i mean we're never going to run out and uh, i know i yeah, was one of those bunkers <laughs> i like was joking uh, canned goods and such or when the kids are teenagers i'm going to tell her to have the kids go in and get it and so we'll probably get the police called or something because they think we're going to go out vandalizing the neighborhood we're buying so much toilet paper but um i don't even know if that's a thing anymore it's probably a tp and is beyond the, the world these days but uh, yeah, it's probably it, probably in the hundred roll range. I would say I'll, I'll ask her for an update. In Auburn, uh, what, what's the, the tree in Auburn when they win the big game? They throw a toilet paper on it, right? <laughs> That's right. I can't think of the name of it for yeah, some reason. Yeah, I can't either. Ask cheese. Something corner, Turner's corner, Tumor's corner. I don't know. Uh, okay, <laughs> this is this is a little wordy. There's a lot here to unpack. I'm a little uh, wordy sometimes. Is this a, is this another tweet? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> My sociology paper from 2003. Oh no, <laughs> we don't have enough time in the podcast. All right, I'll let you tell this. Tell the people the tweet. After monitoring rest, you tweeted it, so I figured. It's I did okay. tweet. I tweeted and I did this. I did this in college. After monitoring restroom attendees for four hours, noted that 38 percent of urinal users did not wash hands, and 12 percent of stall users did not wash hands. Were you just camped out in the bathroom for four hours? I was. How did you um, get these statistics? So I was in a sociology class, which was very fascinating. And the teacher of this course was very unique in the fact that there wasn't much of a textbook in this class. It was all stuff to make you think and make you think about life and, and weird things that, you know, weird habits that people might do. And so like my idea of fun or, you know, that, that class was, was made me nervous because that's not, 
it's out of my wheelhouse, right? I'm an accountant for God's sakes. And so, you know, sociology stuff, it makes you a little queasy inside. But I didn't want to write a paper on like the state of the union, you know, the whole, the whole premise of this paper that we had to do was defying social norms. That was the paper. And there was not a whole lot of, of, you know, boundaries that we had. It was, you had to defy a social norm of some kind and write a paper about it. And you could tell the people after the fact, if you wanted to, um, you know, if, if the, if the study, if you ended up, you know, getting in hot water or whatever, you know, you could, we had a, uh, we had an instruction sheet from the class that, you know, was a get out of jail free card. If, if the police came up on you or something with whatever you're doing, there were no in the bathroom for the last, yeah, I could see it being suspicious or something. Uh, yeah. So our, our dorm, um, our dorm floor, I can't remember what it was now or for, if, if there was maybe a lobby bathroom. Um, but the, one of the handicap stalls had like a lot of stalls cut off the, the door at like to where you can see the person's feet. Yeah. Which is always um, so I, weird the way they, they I did not the want the doors. my feet to be showing in a bathroom stall for <laughs> four hours because somebody could come in multiple times and either think something's wrong, you know, somebody's passed out in there. Like I, I didn't want to have that conversation with anybody. Like my whole goal was I wanted to get this dang paper over with and I just wanted to write it and be done. And, um, and you know, my roommates and I were talking like, I wonder how often people wash their hands when they go to the bathroom. And we had like some debate about this at what level people wash their hands when they went to the bathroom. And I can't remember who was on what side. Was that number surprising to you? In retrospect, 38% uh, did not wash their hands because we've all been, the, you're talking about being in the ballparks. You see a lot right. of, a lot of dudes are in ballparks. They use the urinal. Yeah. They just walk right out. Yep. And you're just like, no, it does. At this, it did. It maybe did at the time. Um, so anyway, we had a handicap stall that the door went all the way to the floor. So you couldn't tell that anybody was in there. And so my roommate and I put a um, out of order sign on. There was another <laughs> handicap stall in the bathroom. It, we weren't keeping any handicapped person from using the bathroom. It was like the best case scenario to do it without inconveniencing anybody and not being awkward for me. Obviously it's awkward to tell people I sat in a bathroom for four hours, but uh, there was enough traffic. It's a college dorm. You know, we did it on a Friday or something, a time where I didn't have class. And so I put a desk chair in there. I was not sitting on the toilet. I had a desk, a little like portable desk with like a TV tray or something, you know, I didn't haul a 30 pound desk down there. Is that like a Game Boy or something to keep you occupied? Yeah, we, well, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I took any video games in there or a cell phone or what, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, but so I had a, I had a chart that was, I mean, obviously you could tell when somebody's using the urinal, you can tell when somebody's using the sink, you can tell when somebody's using the stall. It's pretty obvious. So, you know, I had a chart of urinal users that washed their hands, didn't wash their hands. And I tallied it up and, you know, there was 200 or 300 people that used it. And, and so then, right, we had to break the social norm and write a paper on it. And then we had to speak in front of the class about it, which um, I actually didn't mind that. You know, I don't mind speaking, obviously. Um, but uh, so and, and everybody in the class thought that that was pretty cool and, and also a little bit weird. But. Um, you know, other people did weird stuff too. And I, I wish I could remember. I, I just, I look back and think, boy, that teacher had a pretty good life. Cause she got to hear all the scoops 
on all these, you know, different stories about breaking social norms. And it was, it was a pretty entertaining class, even though it was out of my wheelhouse. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. And, you know, my only other college memory was there was one day of college. Well, I guess I got plenty of memories, but uh, there was one day of college where my schedule was um, bowling. And I took my other sociology elective was uh, sports culture and society. So I had one day where those were my college classes. I had bowling at like one o'clock and then I had uh, sports culture at like two o'clock and that was my like Thursday. So it's funny how our stuff kind of overlaps because I took a bowling class in college and I was a minor in sociology. So uh, there you, I aced the bowling class. I don't know about yourself. But, yeah, uh, I nailed it. I bowled a one night. My bowling average is probably like at the time, maybe 150. I bowled in a league for a couple of years. Solid. I wasn't a superstar by any means, but my average was probably 150. 145 150 and i bowled a 199 in the class one time and um i don't know i think if you bowled a 200 you got a certificate from the the place for like a free pizza yeah uh, and i had like a 191 on my last throw and i got an eight and uh there was a collective groan from my group that would have gotten the free pizza but uh, that's all i remember about that you lefty or righty you got a hook yeah i'm a lefty i i don't throw a massive hook but uh, especially now i'm out of practice but uh, throw a lefty ball with a little bit of a bend. Yeah, I'm a lefty as well too, cards. Look at that. All right. Everything's kind of lining up. I didn't, couldn't really make the hook work though, unfortunately. I, I was hoping you'd be like a in like a lab coat with like a pen and paper, just like standing by the sink. Uh, that was the way I envisioned that the whole time. It's still then everybody's going to wash their hands. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cards. This is the big one. This is what the people want to know. You ready for it? Is that another tweet? <laughs> Leprechaun, Leprechaun 2, uh-huh. Leprechaun 3, Leprechaun 4 in space, Leprechaun in the hood, Leprechaun back to the hood, Leprechaun origins, Leprechaun returns. Can you power rank? Can you pick your favorite amongst the Leprechaun series? Oh, the original is always the best. Um, I haven't, I have not watched these in a long time. I'd have to go back <laughs> and watch them again. Um, I can't imagine, you know, I, I can't imagine that. I just looked up the the original. Do you want Jennifer guess? Aniston's one of them? Do you want to guess the rating of the original Leprechaun movie on Rotten Tomatoes? You're talking about the critics' rating, or you're talking about the audience rating? Uh, let's see. Let me let me. Actually... Critics, I think, will be more uh, more more uh, rough in, in in the single single. Yeah. Digits. So the uh, I've got the tomato meter here and the it. audience score. Okay, I'm going to say the the uh, the actual tomato meter, which is the critics, is seven percent. Okay, we got twenty three. Oh, okay. It's shockingly yeah, underselling high. Underselling at 30. Okay. And I'm going to say the audience is based on that. I'm going to say the audience is 35. Yeah, 32. So uh, on 43,000 ratings, that's lots of people watching. And, and uh, yeah, so uh, looks like Jennifer Aniston was in the original. Yeah. And I think Ice T was in one of them too, or maybe two of them. I'm not really sure. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just this running joke in my head where <laughs> years ago you referenced watching Leprechaun. Yes. And- I- like my favorite like sports related series would be major league. I watched all of those several times and like major league one and major league two were great. And it's like, just like that series, you know, leprechaun, you start to get to four or five movies. Like, look, you're out of content. Like, back major to the minors league, didn't do it. Back to the minors was abysmal. And uh, you know, th- th- that's about the extent of my movie knowledge. It runs out in a hurry, <laughs> especially now, you know, given life and, uh, and, and, and that, but um, favorite sports movies, major league. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Favorite athlete all time? Favorite what? Athlete. Um, I mean, Pujols is ob- it's got to be a Cardinal player um, because you know, and Pujols is obvious. But um, in in terms of 
my appreciation compared to the rest of the fan base. Uh, it's probably Jim Edmonds, uh, lefty, you know, he's got that lefty swing, great outfielder and, uh, you know, played almost every day in and out. And, uh, I just really liked him as a, as a member of the Cardinals. And obviously he was on a lot of their, their winning teams there in the, in the early two thousands. And, you know, that was when I was 18, 20, 22 years old and, and really watching them. And I've got an appreciation for those teams, like in the nineties too, with, you know, Ray Langford and, and Ron Gant and guys like that. But, uh, it almost has to be a Cardinal just because uh, that's, you know, that's my team. And, and Edmonds is probably the guy that, uh, that I would pick for that answer and pools, obviously. Cards. I appreciate your time. I am uh, sure the audience here appreciate your time as well. Uh, give us, do you have any plugs? Tell the people where they can find you on the old Twitter machine. And I guess you'll have some content coming out at some point. And you're, you're, what is your NASCAR package coming out? <laughs> well, the big, the big deal here is uh, we've got golf coming back June 11th. So we're less than a week away from golf. DraftKings has a Millie maker lined up. There's huge GPPs. And uh, that's, you know, that's a, that's one of my DFS wheelhouses and uh, super excited for golf to be back. So uh, for the premium members, we'll have all the golf content covered here. Um, we've got new stuff coming out for golf. It's uh, there's going to be some big, big GPPs uh, with golf getting back in the mix. So check that out here on the RG platform, Twitter at STL Cardinals 84 Super excited for that to be coming back and, uh, and yeah, for sports world to at least uh, start to get back to normal. So happy to chat with you. Much appreciated. That was uh, Justin Van Zutten, you know, as STL Cardinals 84. I was Dean. This was the morning grind. Thanks for listening. We're out of here.